I'll be reading Matthew 6, 19 to 32. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The word of God for the people of God. So how many of you have done a random dot stereogram before? It's those uh, pictures that look like a collage of dots that make no sense. And if you kind of unfocus your eyes, there's a 3D picture that'll pop out. They were referred to as magic eye 3D things, right? Anybody? Am I totally lost? Okay, no, some of you are here, yay. Yeah, so um, random dot stereogram. What a great way to describe discerning of passions. If you took the spiritual gifts assessment, there's probably some great comfort in knowing after answering 103 questions, they will tell me which ones I'm good at. But the interest survey, as you've heard alluded to already, it's, not, it's more like a Rorschach inkblot test uh, or a random dot stereogram uh, or some kind of um, write it down on paper, walk away from it, and then see it from a different perspective. I wish that technology could tell us what our passions are, but there is no Google app for that. Uh, what's interesting is when we start looking at perception, how do we see the world around us? How do we uh, feel, smell, and sense what is around us? We'd like to think that everybody perceives the same way, that maybe even all parts of our body perceive the same way. Perceptual psychologists will tell you that there is a different set of nerves all over your body, that the nerves on the palm of your hand and the uh, pad of your fingers is different than the nerves that are on the tip of your tongue. The tip of your tongue is more sensitive. You can take two points. This is how they uh, test uh, perception. They take two points and put it on, a, uh, uh, like on your back, and they start moving the points closer and closer. And when you can only feel one point, 
That's where the limit of perception is. On your back, it's like 16 millimeters is the usual place at which you start sensing one point as opposed to two. On your tongue, it's three millimeters, right? Different perceptions in different places. Much like the random dot stereogram, where you look at it, you unfocus your eyes and a 3D image pops out. People who have astigmatisms can't do that which is why for the hours and hours I would stare at those things, I, they would never work, right? Perception is a powerful thing. Sometimes we think that uh, the colors that we see in the world must be um, directly um, correlated with the electromagnetic spectrum, right? When we look at colors of light, surely our eyes all perceive the same frequency of light as the same color. But if you're familiar with anybody who uh, has a, a color blindness, you know that's not true. In fact, um, one of my favorite jokes, um, I put it on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Um, some of you know that I'm uh, in the school of joke telling. Uh, I'm a student of Bill Logan, right? So I imagine that Bill might have put this one up. Sorry, Bill, I'm sure you didn't want to be pointed out in worship, but you were anyways. So I put on uh, Facebook, um, I said, I was so surprised when the doctor told me I had color blindness. It came totally out of the green. <laughs> so when you sit people down and you ask them to name colors based upon different electromagnetic frequency, light frequency, they don't put down the same colors. That's close. There's little bit of variation. But what we see and what we perceive and what's real in the world can be um, swayed by who we are, can be swayed by what we see and what we do. For example, there's a uh, African tribe, a subsistence uh, tribe in uh, Zambia, and uh, they are known, their gift, their passion is the use of herbs for medicinal reasons. And in um, their culture, in their language, they can perceive up to seven different shades of green that happen in nature. And it works really uh, well, right? If you're the, the group that really knows how to pick herbs and to use them for the benefit of others, you want to know and be able to see. And so whether it's genetics or evolution or God's gift, who knows what, but it's part of who they are to be able to see deeper into that idea of green. Um, uh, Paul Ford, a, a guy who uh, did evangelism in Kazakhstan, uh, said that when he showed up at Kazakhstan, um, he realized really quickly that the Kazakhs had 20 words for the idea of a sheep and zero words for supernatural. I mean, if you don't think about it and you don't have a word for it and it's not important and crucial to who you are, then you don't even see it. Some of you have uh, ventured out on wellness uh, opportunities, right? You've uh, started tracking what the scale says. You've been tracking how many steps you walk. Uh, there's a couple of people uh, in the office, uh, names will remain anonymous, uh, who have these um, step trackers. And all of a sudden, uh, no one before wanted to go to the sanctuary to pick up the uh, registration pads, but now, oh, they're you know, fighting each other for the chance to go because it's more steps, right? When you start recording something, paying attention to something, that's when it becomes real. And you can start affecting some movement in it. 
So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, our scripture passage for today, uh, which by the way, I'm gonna say is a big chunk of change, right? There's a whole lot for a preacher to cover in that. And that's either a gift uh, or a curse. Um, in that passage, uh, there's some places where we can lift out some words that make sense to us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hmm, right? Where we spend our time, our money, our efforts, uh, where we um, dedicate a time of our children and our grandchildren, the way that we compartmentalize and put together the things of value, there too will our treasure be. And Jesus goes from preaching to meddling. He says, no one can serve two masters for they will love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and, and not to the other. So can you have two passions? Nah. You can have a passion. You gotta pour yourself into it. I'm amazed at how uh, by the time you get to be about 30 or so, uh, most of life's choices have been locked up, right? You've gotten educated, you've gotten a job, you might have chosen a life partner, you might have had children, uh, you might own a house. There's, um, there's a lot of choices that are locked up in that. And the choices that we make determine how we spend our time and our money and our efforts. And sometimes our passions get drowned out because we've got so many masters we gotta take care of that somebody has to take a back seat. We look at the 33rd verse, which uh, wasn't included in our 32 range. Um, you get, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. It's back to that one master, right? Jesus is saying, you seek the one thing. It's like Betty said, if you find the ministry, you find the joy. If you find where your passions and your gifts are, and they meet a need in the world, that's where vocation comes from. But so much of life gets filled up with so much noise. And think about how uh, the, uh, um, the advertising uh, industrial complex uh, helps us think through consumerism, right? It's not important for you to figure out the purpose of your life. Instead, just consume more things, right? Because the things that we buy, they give us qualities. If I buy a Harley Davidson uh, motorcycle, it is a representation of personal freedom, right? I don't have one, but I'd love to ride on yours if you ever give rides. Um, <laughs> Nike shoes suggest that we are like Mike, right? Good old Michael Jordan. That when we think about Abercrombie and Fitch, that we are trying to buy into that chic casualness, right? I, I will never be um, chic and cool. I'm always about 15 degrees off of cool, right? It's close, but it doesn't work, right? It's like telling jokes about colorblindness. Um, so, but when we pay attention to what scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart is, no one can serve two masters. Then if you seek first the kingdom, all these other things will be added unto you. It sounds really easy, but the implementation can be terrifying. I think we live in a culture that is um, passion deaf, right? Have, have you heard the phrase tone deaf? Right, maybe you're singing next to somebody who is and you've been suffering through it this, uh, this morning. Um, the tone deaf idea is just an inability to recognize uh, perfect pitch or, uh, or anything close to it, right? Um, you, you can have great passion and great desire to want to sing praises to God, uh, but if you're tone deaf, it's gonna come out, make a joyful noise instead of make a joyful sound. Nothing wrong with it, but just some people don't have that ability. I think we live in a culture that has like this, this um, passion blindness or passion deafness, that we get the idea, 
but it's so hard to find the pitch and to sing with others. That uh, passion ends up being drowned out by all the things we have to do, by all the roles we have to play, by all of the consumption that needs to be done. How can we ever get serious about call, gifts, passion, and needs if we are running on that hamster wheel so often throughout the day? What does it mean to have a fire in your belly? What does it mean to be uh, kept up late at night because of an issue? What does it mean to be so consumed with passion that you pour your life out into something else, something beyond yourself, so that the world might be a better place? Now, passion's really strange. It is very much a unique experience, right? Uh, Amy often says, I do not know how, as a pastor, you stand in a perfectly good room uh, with a bunch of people and you're social with them, and there's someone who's died in a casket in the same room. She says, that's not right. There's something wrong with you. And I say, you know, I don't know how you spend hours upon hours with preschool children, um, enduring all of their questions, their needs, their wants, and teacher, teacher, teacher. That's not right. I couldn't do that. We're all set with a certain kind of passion. And it doesn't have to make sense to you. Um, I think uh, Kate has a friend who's in ministry uh, who is the um, hospital chaplain uh, for the pediatric oncology ward. Oh, please, no, <laughs> right? I mean, you would have to pump antidepressants into the air conditioning system of the hospital for me to be able to even be close to doing that. And when you think about uh, a, a Catholic nun uh, from uh, Eastern uh, Europe uh, who was really good at caring for hospice patients, um, she asked God, where best can my uh, joy of caring for those who are dying meet the needs of the world? And she read about a whole class of society in India called the untouchables who no one would care for. And so she went to Calcutta, and we know her story as uh, Saint uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. It doesn't have to be what you want to do, right? Other people have different passions, but for you to discern and find what your passion is unleashes that opportunity for time to disappear, for you to be equipped for the moment, and for your skills, your gifts, your passion to meet the needs of the world. Uh, it's a hard question. I've had a couple of people say, uh, you know, preacher, I wanted to fill out that survey, but boy, howdy, that's a big chunk of change. I mean, if I write something down on there, somebody might remember it, and then I have to be held to it, and I'm not so sure I'm there just yet. I think that's okay. I think we're all at different phases of the journey. But what a uh, horrible disservice Chapelwood would do to you if we didn't invite you occasionally to think about that cause that's beyond yourself, that thing that you can give your life to. Some of you already are doing it, and you don't even know it. A habitat for humanity, right? Love doing carpentry and woodworking. There's a need for affordable housing in Brazoria County. Habitat for humanity. Right? You can do the A plus B equals C yourself. Uh, as you start thinking about uh, other people who have done it well, of uh, figuring out their passions and their purpose. I, I like this quote from Drew Houston. He's the founder of Dropbox and he gave the commencement speech at MIT. Uh, very much a kind of a go-getter tech guy. He says, if you wanna follow your passions, watch the way that your dog chases the tennis ball. That when your dog chases the tennis ball, there's nothing else that exists except that tennis ball. And so if you want to chase your passions, 
chase your passions like the dog chases the tennis ball. But I have to tell you, that's not a very satisfying way to end a sermon. It just, it's kind of wonky, right? So let me tack on one more. Um, in 2009, uh, there was um, uh, uh, Lisa Finn, uh, an ESPN journalist, uh, aired a story uh, about D'Artagnan Crockett and Leroy Sutton, two high school students in inner city Cleveland uh, who were special. They were part of the wrestling team. Uh, ESPN was doing kind of one of those uh, heartwarming stories. You know, it can't all just be about deflated footballs and NFL. Uh, there has to be a little bit more to it. Um, and so um, the, the um, journalist wrote a story, uh, did a, a TV piece on D'Artagnan and Leroy. What Lisa found with D'Artagnan and Leroy is that D'Artagnan was blind, had been since birth, and that Leroy was in a bad accident and he's a double amputee, he has no legs. And she noticed D'Artagnan and uh, Leroy because Leroy would ride on the back of D'Artagnan through the halls of the school and together he would be sight for D'Artagnan and D'Artagnan would be legs for Leroy and they'd make it to their classes and they'd do their homework and life would be good. She did a story on them that got them quite a lot of fame. And she found it really hard not to call and follow up with them, not to call and see how they're doing. And as she followed up with them, she found that both boys had, are part of a family that had never been to college. No one in their family had been. And she asked them, do you want to go to college? And they said, yeah, we'd love to. There's no money. And so she fundraised through benefactors at ESPN and got them uh, an ability to go to junior college uh, and to complete a degree. Many years later, Leroy uh, looks at Lisa and says, why did you do it? Why did you stay? Nobody ever stays in the inner city of Cleveland. Why'd you stay? And she says, I stayed because I loved you. And Leroy says, yeah, we, we kind of thought you were going to say that, but why did you really stay? And she says, you know, I grew up in an upper middle class privileged society uh, where we never did anything if it didn't benefit us. And meeting you, I realized that the two of you love each other so deeply that your lives are joined together and that success happens when you work together. And I wanted to be part of somebody else's life. I watched how you poured your lives out for each other and I wanted to pour my life out for you. She says, kind of my paraphrase, she says, you only have one life to live and you better pour it out on something worth it. And y'all really seemed like you were worth it. What is it like to realize that we cannot do it on our own, much like D'Artagnan and Leroy. We need some to be legs and some to be eyes and some to be wisdom and some to be giving and some to be generous and some to just cheer us on the way. And the cause, the purpose, it's gotta be something worthy to pour this one life out over. It's really the gospel message uh, that God doesn't look for the best, and the, the best and the brightest. He doesn't look for the talented. He doesn't look for the top of the class of MIT or A&M or anywhere else. What he looks for is those who are called. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And sometimes the church is like a big random dot stereogram. You look at us and you go, wow, what are we capable of? <laughs> who knows? But it's the beauty of God's grace that if you just unfocus your eyes a little bit, you see really quickly that 3D picture of the body of Christ. 
A group of people with clear spiritual gifts, with passion in their belly, with an awareness of the needs in the community, and a clear sense of call to something more than themselves. I know we're all in different places on the journey, but I hope if you've never done a spiritual gifts class that you'll, that you'll do the assessment online. You can find it on our website, click on worship, and it'll be under there. And if you've done that, maybe it's time to explore passions. It's very true to say that not everybody can do that work self-reflectively on their own. Maybe you need to find a friend, a partner, a spiritual mentor, a spouse, or maybe a complete stranger that just happens to sit on the road that you do in worship and have some dialogue over those questions related to passion and interests. I think you'll find that life uh, begins to be much more joyful when it's not about the accumulation of things, but rather the alignment with a vision, the execution of a passion, and seeing the world transformed into another place. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. While you're remaining standing, uh, I want to remind us that Chapelwood United Methodist Church uh, exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Now, not a scatter of steps all over the place, but we want to line those steps up. So as a community, over the course of three years, uh, we make real a vision to raise a generation in faith. And to kind of get ready for that uh, vision process, um, we want to spend the next 12 months uh, doing the things that uh, provide uh, the values and the lessons that our kids can learn to have life-giving faith. We really think this is an important part of our call here at Chapelwood, and we want you to participate along. I mean, you can uh, kind of see that today uh, has uh, been all about uh, that calling piece, and that's one of those healthy behaviors, to have a calling beyond yourself. The others are to speak the faith fluently, to be a high-expectation congregation, and together to develop and articulate individually our personal, powerful God stories so that we can share with others the difference that being a part of the church means in our lives. Um, there's a lot of great opportunities to kind of step into the pattern that we have going on. And everybody's in a different place. Some of you are clear on your calling and need no more help. Uh, but some of us are just beginning that work of discerning that God has a purpose for us. I hope you'll be taking those next steps. And if Kate or Ellen and, and myself can be helpful as uh, spiritual guides, we hope that you'll engage us in that process. Uh, if today is the day for a new step uh, to join this congregation, we'd love for you to walk down the aisle. We'd love to talk about and plan for the day of your joining, uh, but go ahead and make a commitment today. We'd love for you to come down uh, during our, our closing uh, uh, hymn, which is My Hope is Built, and uh, David Hill's going to come and lead us in that. All right, if you'll, um, I think there might be a Stephen minister coming up. If so, they'll be standing right here. They'll be uh, happy to pray with you or to arrange a time of care for you. I'm going to stand here for right now, but if you'll grab a hand next to you for our closing benediction, um, you don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand, and uh, let's share together in a prayer. Uh, Almighty God, we give thanks that you have gifted us with gifts that you have put a fire in our heart of passion and that there are needs in the world uh, that we can be your hands and feet to care for. Send us out into the world to tell others the story of your great love for the whole world so that all might know of the gospel truth. Go in peace this day. Amen. <laughs>